Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Previously on The Mike Wise Show. I, I just remember, like, you're up there and all these Kareem's up there and Rick Barry and all these guys are up there and I'm like, Mark Stein. <laughs> I don't know. You you still must have been you still must be pitching yourself a little. Yeah, no, my, I I mean there's still honestly no words for it, man. It is it is the greatest feeling professionally that you can have. Uh, you know, I never expected it. That was Mark Stein from back in June 2019 reacting to his selection as the winner of the Kurt Gowdy Media Award from the Basketball Hall of Fame. This week, he returns to the Mike Wise Show to talk about some of his fellow Hall of Famers and much more. But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? That is correct, Darlene. Thank you again. Mark Stein is back with us on the Mike Wise Show, and we have a lot of ground to cover. But first, I have to ask you, Mark, how has life changed since your induction into the hoop hall back in September? And you don't have enough time to hear all that, do you? You don't want (laughs) getting all emotional and... Uh, it's funny, Jackie McMullen was the first one to call me to tell me. And she told me right away, she's like, this is, it's going to be life-changing for you. She said that, and she was, as she usually is, very, very correct. So, I still so what is I that? There, I, would, I still don't believe it happened. I was there, but I, I don't believe it happened. That's kind of my usual explanation. Yeah, so, so like when you say change, like ha- just how, in what way? People bring it up every time I do a a podcast or interview like this for starters. And when right. you hear the word, it still doesn't sound right. It's Hall just, of Famer Mark Stein. <laughs> come on, man. No, I know. Well, well, it's it's kind of too. I think part of it is neither you know neither one of us played in the NBA, so therefore, you know, we we chronicled uh, the, the 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 greatest athletes in the world, but did we really? You know, what, what did we do to get in there? Well, of course, we did a lot. You know, you, you did a lot because you, you wouldn't be there if, if not. But it is it is it, the, the notion of like sort of sharing a hall with the athletes. That Yeah, that that is a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, that, that feels a little heavy. I mean, I'm I'm incredibly fortunate that I got to live out so many things that I dreamed as a kid. But you don't even dream of that. And I. You know, I don't think anybody dreams of that. Like, you just can't even think of that, you know. Certainly as a writer, you I mean, I probably wasn't even aware of the Gaudi Award when I started. I mean, that was certainly never something that I was 
targeting. So the like mm-hmm. I, just the shock of getting the calls that morning, I will like what that feels like. I don't know that I can put it into words, but I know that I will never forget that feeling. Um, do you you started with the LA Daily News? What year? What year were you there? My first year as a beat writer was the second half of the ninety three ninety four season. It was the season that Jordan was out. Actually, yep. I wrote my first NBA story in nineteen eighty nine when I was still in college. I got to cover summer league in eighty nine, but my true start on the NBA beat was ten days before the nineteen ninety four trading deadline. <laughs> And you went to Dallas what year? April of 97. Basically, I was with – I got to cover Shaq and Kobe's first year together. I was the Laker beat writer for the LA Daily News. And then at the end of that season, before the playoffs started, this chance in Dallas materialized. And I'm sure you remember at the time, the Dallas Morning News was probably one of the five best papers in the country and certainly in sports. I mean, in sports, the money – the money that the morning news threw at sports coverage in those days on Sundays, the sports section would sometimes be three sections. Oh. They just they covered every college game as far as the eye could see. I mean, it was just the sports section under Dave Smith was an absolute colossus. So yeah, people no are brainer. Yeah. No brainer journalistically, but I went from the Laker beat, to the Mavericks. The Mavericks were the worst franchise in the 90s. So in LA, everyone looked at me like I was crazy. And I always tell people I was most scared to tell Chick Hearn, Chick, I'm leaving the Laker beat for the <laughs> Dallas Mavericks beat. I was terrified to tell him. But he was the mustard's so off great. the hot dog. The mustard's off the hot dog. Well, Chick. Nobody I've ever been around loved the Lakers. And the two people probably who loved the Laker beat and Laker life were Chick Hearn and and the great Mitch Shortkoff from the old Herald Examiner, the Daily Breeze. I mean, to them, all of life existence revolved around being around the Lakers. So to tell Chick that I was leaving was not easy, but he was great. He actually was great. And he he was really a huge supporter of mine. And I I miss him a ton. That, that's great. Um, you, you, by the time you got to the Mavericks, obviously the national story again was Michael Jordan and the Bulls off to their historic run. I, you know, I I was watching the Last Dance. I've seen the first two. I'm probably going to watch the third tonight. I, I you know, there, it definitely brought back some memories. I'm wondering what your thoughts of it are so far. Well, I'm a nostalgia guy, so I mean, I'm I love it. I mean, I love the stuff about the '80s. You know, even the even the sad state of the Bulls when Jordan got there. I was even watching all that was fascinating to me, seeing that all over again. You know, the 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 63 point game against Chicago. I think this past week, I probably listened to the highlights. Listening, Jim Durham, who your producer Bruce Bernstein also got to work with at ESPN, just one of the all time greats on a microphone. I just love hearing JD's call mm-hmm. of that game and Jordan's going nuts. And I've probably watched that that clip ten times in the last week just because I want to hear Jim kind of go through it as Mike's going nuts in that game. And I I love seeing it, but like as you know, I think you kind of started around the NBA, you know, right around the same time as me. You know, we we just missed the Jordan who gave great access and Yes. Jackie McMullins and Sam Smith and Pete Vesey's and Lacey 
Lacey J. Banks and all just all those guys. They all got to cover Michael when he was open with the media. I missed it. I, I and so I'm really want to watch and see this kind of behind the scenes access because by the time I got to the league, he was told he was it was very closed off and and yeah, a Mad Rashad got access and that was it. Yeah, I I feel the same way. It was sort of like Jordan Incorporated by the time. Well, I I got to the Times in 94, and I I guess I covered that double nickel game at the Garden, but I didn't really start covering the Knicks and then the NBA until 97. So so whatever Jordan I saw was essentially the Jordan that you saw. It was a very incorporated Jordan. It was a very businesslike Jordan. It was was Michael Post, well, everybody reporting gambling on him. And everybody giving him a hard time after going to play baseball. And then the Jordan that came back was almost on a mission in a different way. But yeah, there was there was a uh, what do I want to call? What do I want to say? It was it was a sanitized version of Jordan. It was a homogenized version. And it's kind of cool to get the bus behind the scenes of it all. There's some things I'm already bothered by. This is small stuff, but but when Bird said on camera the other night, you know, that that Michael Jordan was disguised as God. Um, He said that in, he said that in the moment. I don't know why they wouldn't use that footage and get an old Larry, you know, an old Larry Bird saying it's fine, but it's not as if he just said that. That was, it was what he said at the time. I would have loved to seen that footage. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested in how different things are played. Krause is just savaged. And I guess whatever, you got to do it. You have to say what you need to say about him. But at some point I'm going, well, the guy did put, the guy did take a scrap heap of players and put them around you. And they turned out to be darn good role players. Well, one of the beauties of this thing is going to be, look, every week there's going to be two new episodes. And every week, everybody's going to nitpick what they did like and they didn't like. So we always ask the question, what would have been what would the bulls have been like under today's social media microscope and i you know we won't know for sure but i think this is going to give us a taste because a lot of this stuff is new to quote nba twitter and yeah. so there's you know just like you saw it in real time last week that the scotty contract dispute which obviously we covered so closely and you know mm-hmm. for us was not a new story but i think for a lot of people it was a new story and they were just shocked at this and and you kind of saw nba twitter lose its mind over it i think that's going to keep happening as we didn't have the tools to do it then but you know tomorrow you know monday morning what's the the, the, all the debate shows are going to be going over all this stuff yes because they have nothing else to go over (laughs) there's nothing fun experiment to see to see how we react now yeah well i was so i was told somewhere that the the actual documentary was going to run on the off nights of the finals literally right, the, the nights true. of the finals were on so 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 technically if somehow the lakers got out of the west you could have had lebron and michael going back to back for you know goat in real time versus goat in celluloid time on the last dance and i think that's that was a big appeal for jordan doing it that would have been obviously even more fascinating because that would have been thrown in LeBron's face throughout the finals. And it would have been just kind of another hurdle for him to have to get past if the Lakers were actually fortunate enough to get to the finals. But in the current circumstances, when basically worldwide sport has been shut down, uh, you know, we're, we're 
we're, I think we're all pretty excited to have this. And look, there's going to be a lot of things that people nitpick, and there's going to be a lot of yeah. things that people criticize. So, Pan Deb, my colleague at the Times, wrote a great piece earlier this week about how, you know, this has been billed as this no-holds-barred, no-punches-pulled documentary, <laughs> and it's not. Obviously, Jordan's camp had massive, massive control over over it. But then you step back and say, look, we're getting as close to unvarnished Jordan or as we're getting as close to candid late eighties, early nineties Jordan as we're ever going to get. So whatever trade we had to make to get that, to get Jordan in the chair, giving us his thoughts, it's, it's worth it. He hasn't spoken like this in decades. Yes. And that's the, that's the, that's the appeal of documentary. And that's what we're all going to, you know, we all want to see. I mean, he, he speaks with a level of candor that, Again, the Will Bonds, the Sam Smith, the Jackie McMullins, they've heard that. But most of us haven't been treated to, to that, Michael Jordan. Yep. How about the part where he the part where he just drops a dime on his old teammates his first year, basically saying that, you know, there there was supposition that they were using cocaine and a lot of and a lot of substances. But he basically says, yeah, there was a room on the road. I went in. Almost all my teammates were in there. There were lines here. They were like, I was like, what? I go, what happened to the sanctity of your locker room, Michael? But uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't see it that way because, for one, he didn't name names. True. And two, and two, everybody talked about those bulls and the NBA that way. I mean, I, I, I feel like he was asked about it. And, gave, you know, look, he gave a more detailed answer than I, I probably would have expected. But he didn't name he didn't name anybody. Like I, I didn't find that one egregious at all, really. Yeah, all right. I did. Um, <laughs> are you interviewed in any upcoming segments? Nope, nope. I'm, uh, and and I shouldn't have been. Like I said, I was. You know, I mm. when I went to the morning news, my my first two trips to the NBA Finals were to cover ninety seven, ninety eight. You know, I, yeah. I, my. Best Jordan experience when I was the Laker beat writer, 90, you know, I'll never forget it. February yeah. 2nd, 1996, Magic Johnson comes out of retirement, almost five years away. First game, Magic puts up a near triple-double, looks absolutely amazing. The Lakers are transformed. Magic is now a power forward. I was calling him, <laughs> I was calling him Magic Mountain in print. I was proud of myself. I actually came up with a deep line. Game two. The Bulls show up and absolutely whack the Lakers on a TNT Thursday. Michael, Scotty, and Rodman just destroyed the Lakers and basically said, Magic, you guys aren't even close to title contention. Get out of here. Yeah, that was their 72-10 and 10 team. They were just so good. I mean, yeah. ridiculous. They were but, just but, an but absolute juggernaut. And there but you let's go. be honest. The moment when Magic in the first game did the okie doke on Sprewell, oh my God, that was unbelievable. <laughs> that oh, was, man, a, I mean, five, I mean, that was worth just, him coming back, in my but estimation. Just the next, just, I mean, you just can just imagine the hype, as well as Magic played in that first game. Just imagine the hype oh. that the second game, Jordan and Pippen are coming to town. Five yeah. years after Jordan wins his first title in LA, Magic and Jordan are hooking up again. I mean, it was, it, it might be. I mean, I don't, I'm sure I can't say it's number one, but it's got to be in my top five of regular season games I've ever covered. Mm -hmm. I wasn't at the double nickel game, but just as far as hype and anticipation, that was insane. That was up there. Uh, Phil's guy last week on the program, Charlie Rosen, 
He's 79 now, but fairly sharp still. He said the Bulls would have won at least two more championships if they kept everyone together after that run. Your thoughts? I don't I don't know that I would go that far because I actually heard Sam Smith talk about this. He did a pod with our mutual friend Howard Beck, and Sam mm. reminded me of something that I have completely forgotten about. Remember Jordan, during that lockout, almost cut his finger off with that cigar thing. Oh, that's so right. That, you know, he had that cigar cutter incident, and it really messed up his tendon. And so he would have been compromised to some degree health-wise that, that next season. But look, at the time of the breakup, that injury hadn't happened. Scotty was obviously ailing. But I also strongly dispute the Jerry Krause, Jerry Reisdorf notion that that Bulls team was done. Are you kidding me? They no. still could have had a core of Jordan, Pippen, and a young Kukoc coach with Phil as coach. I think they would have been just fine. Would they have kept winning titles? Eventually, they were obviously going to lose to someone. But yeah. they, you know, with, with those three, you could have redone the whole team and still been excellent. And look, the reality is they couldn't have extended Scotty in that last season, but after, you know, in the summer of 95, there was a window to extend it. And they chose not to do it. And that, to me, is on the Bulls. Reinsdorf can say all he wants. He signed a contract. I don't renegotiate. No, when, when, you have a, when you have a team for the ages and you guys have won three, four championships already and you know how miserable Scottie Pippen is, rip up that contract and give him a new one. Mm-hmm. Make him happy. Make, you know, there's not a lot of guys who can play – who, who can claim to be Michael's perfect sidekick. Get it done, make him happy, fix it. The Bulls yeah, did not. And move and on from not there. All on, it's not all on Jerry Krause. It's on Ryan. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the, the greatness of Michael, when, when I think of all the moments when I think, wow, I was covering the best player in the history of the game, and I'll believe that until LeBron takes a third <laughs> franchise to a title and shoot, he's going to play so long. His longevity alone is going to put him there. But I think that that those last couple minutes of Game Six, Scotty's back is out. They're going to go to a Game Seven. I have no faith in the Bulls winning a Game Seven, and they're down whatever it was, three five. Uh, Phil calls a timeout. In in my estimation, calls one of the great underrated plays of all time tells Michael, okay, we're down three. Just go to the basket as fast as you can. We'll do two to, you know, two for one. We'll get the ball back. On the other end, we'll stop him. I mean, Mike, Mike, Michael Jordan scored a layup within two seconds of an inbound pass. So then all of a sudden you're down on the other end, the steal, the shot. I mean, it, he had to win that game. I did not see the Jazz losing Game Seven at home, and you were at you were at that series. It was it was deafening. I think I think most of the country outside of Chicago was, uh, unless you were a real Jordan fan, was rooting for the Jazz at that point. And one of the stories that I've done, kind of in the build up to this documentary, I did a big piece with Andy Thompson, who is Michael Thompson's brother. He's Clay's uncle, and it was actually. Andy was the first one who had the idea to embed a crew with the Bulls, and the whole thing kind of started with him. Mm. And so my answer to your question is is now changed a lot based on what Andy told me. One of the anecdotes Andy was telling me is that we 
you know, and I don't know, this is a spoiler to some degree, so I don't know, I don't, I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I guess at That's some okay. point in the documentary, we will see, we, I, I'm told we will see some, some pregame scenes that support your contention that uh, Jordan knew they better win game six because, because of Scotty's health and, and, yeah. and it would have been, it would have been really hard to come back and win a game seven. So I think, I think you will be proven right based on what I've been told. Well, I have to say, Bruce Bernstein, who's listening on the producer end, make that the the the, the cutaway for the whole. Don't even tell them we have Stein. Tell them that I've been right for the first time in my career. That will be the hook for this podcast. Um, your, <laughs> your column this week shared some ideas from our own Bruce Bernstein on possible ways to honor David Stern. I thought yeah, I, I thought that was a great thing to throw out with your New York Times column. And why would um, why would you allow such a thing to happen and let his ego run wild? Or- well, I have I have many reasons. First of all, before he started carrying you, he used to <laughs> through a half hour of television. Which this is true. Put on his resume is one of his biggest achievements. <laughs> so Bruce and I worked together for fifteen years, so I love him. But no, what happened was. I, I do a weekly mailbag. I take three yes. questions. And two weeks ago, a reader wrote in and said, how is the league going to honor David Stern when every trophy they have has been named after somebody? The MVP is the Podoloff. The champion is the Larry O'Brien. The finals MVP is Bill Russell. And obviously now the all-star MVP trophy is Kobe Bryant. They've all been honored. So what, you know, you can't take the championship trophy away from Larry O'Brien and put Stern's name on it. So, how on earth do you honor David Stern? And in the moment I was like, it's a great question. And I don't have any great ideas because David Stern did so much for the league. It's got to be something massive. I mean, it's got to be, can't just be a small thing. So I, I basically answered, I'm going to have to think about it and open the floor because I don't have off the top of my head. I don't have any great suggestions. And then Bruce, being resourceful Bruce he came up with a slew of suggestions so I just threw them all in there <laughs> tell me what was what was the one that made the most sense to you you know I kind of he said well Bruce said we could you know rename the draft in David's honor which yeah. certainly would be fitting because you know for so many years he announced the first round picks and you know players have in the wake of his passing on January 1st a lot of players said that that was you know, they're welcome to the NBA moment. They will never forget shaking his hand as, as kind of the entry point to come into the league. But I think the one I like the best might be putting his signature on every floor in the league, the way yeah. it used to be on the ball. Um, you know, and that's kind of a newer idea, but I know like the Mavs have had a little like silhouette of Dirk on their floor and it just it's just kind of a nice tribute. So I, I think it's got to be something big like that, something that touches every corner of the league. I mean, I think, Bruce, you know, you could name All-Star Weekend after him. You could name the draft after him. But I don't even know if those events are big enough. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. To, to kind of match what he – look, Stern obviously has his detractors. There's lots of people who didn't like him. There's lots of people who thought he was dictatorial. I know you had many more brawls with him than I did. I actually am jealous that I know the Times was his favorite paper. You worked at the Times when <laughs> – you know, he was he was at his peak of explosions, and you got to be screamed at by him thousands of times. Like I feel like I missed out. You know, by the time I got to the time, he was no yeah. longer commissioned. 
So yeah, it was it was a tough love thing, it, you know. But he, you're right though. He if he didn't yell at you, he didn't care. Um, the I would you know what I almost feel like if you went to Larry O'Brien's surviving family, they would say yeah, the the the, the championship trophy should be David Stern uh, instead of Larry O'Brien trophy. I almost feel like they would say yes. But you're right though. It the the All Star Weekend. The the name on the court they, they almost just don't seem big enough because and the funny thing is if you went to his widow Diane and his family they go ah David didn't want any of that crap it was about the players and, and we'd well, almost give, have to, another, we'd almost have to force one. it on him wouldn't we I'll give you another one another another friend of all of ours the great Raymond Ritter the oh yes Michael Jordan the Michael Jordan of, of PR who's PR the, director's Golden Warriors. State he actually threw out uh, that they should you know create a new international player of the year award and name that in Stern's honor. And my response then was the same. It's, it's not big enough. It's just not mm. like it's too finite for what Stern was. I mean, again, good, bad, whether you liked him or not, you cannot deny the man's impact on the league and whatever they come up with, it's gotta be something big. And I think that's why it hasn't happened yet. Cause even, you know, obviously they have a lot on their plate right now dealing with a global health crisis, but I mean, it's not, not that easy to just say this is what the league should do on this one yeah mark stein is my guest uh he's going through the lightning round now and he was great last time i uh, um when will the nba play basketball again i'm in the pessimist camp man i got to admit i i just think it's going to be really hard to play games i think they will try to come back this year in some form or fashion but the nagging pessimist in me just fears that even if they do manage to come back and get teams in some kind of training camp, that there's going to be setbacks that force them to abandon the plan. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. Obviously, I, you know, I miss the game as much as anybody, but I just, it's such a tough needle to thread the 50 things they have to check off to make this happen. And I, and I think one one aspect of the story that isn't being addressed enough is I think the players are going to have a lot of trepidation. They're the ones who are, you know, are going to feel the most unsafe and feel this weirdness the most mm. acutely. And, and I just don't know that you're going to get blanket. I mean, Joe Ingles said it last week. Chris Paul said it last week. I mean, the guys on the court have to feel good about this. And, and I mean, it's hard – with no vaccine and so much uncertainty, I mean, how can how can the league possibly figure out a way to make everyone feel comfortable by June first at this time to go back to training camp? I just think it's tough. I'm in, I'm in complete agreement. I, I I I'm I'm even more pessimistic. I I'm scared that for you know well just society in general, but but the NBA, I don't think silver even goes into those waters until he feels a hundred percent confident that they're not going to infect each other and that there's not going to be some cameraman or, or uh, equipment manager or anybody else that that's asymptomatic and doesn't, you know, test positive and comes down with it later. I don't, I see them starting the season next season in January. Um, and, and I hope that doesn't happen, but I cannot see them holding any uh, semblance of playoffs this year. Um, people have said Vegas. People have said no. I, I don't think any of that's happening. I think they're going to turn at some point toward next year and figure out a way to get that to get next season rolling. Because 
the, this season's just going to be a wash. It just is. I don't, I don't see there, there's going to be people still dying of the coronavirus in August in this country. And so I just don't, I think it would, in some ways it would almost be tone deaf. I don't see the NFL starting on time. I, I see college football possibly losing its entire season. I just think that there's so much things going on life-wise that I, you know, I don't, I just don't, um, I, I'm not hopeful, so, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I guess I would say is, though, there, you know, it's still late April, so go ahead and try. There's no reason. Yeah. Don't get points, don't get points for canceling first. So they don't yeah. need to rush to come out and say, we're canceling just to make, you know, certain people happy. So run out yeah. the ground balls. Be where you are on June 1st. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, is a, it, is, it is much harder to, to – uh, to make this all work than it sounds, which is fascinating when, you know, the NHL is openly talking about, we want to play in four arenas and we're back in July. And it's still, you know, the NBA is such the opposite. The NBA doesn't want to acknowledge that it's, con- it's considering everything, but they, they don't yeah. even want to acknowledge that they're considering anything. Uh, Kobe Bryant had video crows following him his last season as a Laker. I don't think that was the Muse Showtime d- documentary. Is that potentially the next great NBA doc? I think that, you know, it's come yeah. out that, you know, he had his own crews and, and, um, but you know what? It's interesting. I, I, one thing that I think this doc has, is, is already showing mm. that there is value in waiting. Like Jordan yes. is clearly saying more than he would have, you know, what was his last year with the Wizards? Oh, three. He, he's saying more than he would have said in 08 oh, or in 13, yeah. you know, like, you put 20 years of time in there and guys are willing to say more. And so I don't know that we need to rush, you know, I, I mean, obviously nobody's consulting me for my opinion, but I don't think it's so bad that, that we, you know, you wait 10 plus years before these things happen. Oh yeah. No, I think you're right. And just, just Kobe in hindsight, you know, I mean, one of the things I'll, I, you know, I, I really enjoy going up to, and yours was one of the first I missed in a long time because of work. I couldn't get out. I, I really want to go to the Hall of Fame induction this year. And that's obviously going to be pushed back. Uh, Kobe was going to be in, uh, inducted posthumously. I, I think you're right. Five, 10 years, you get a lot more space between uh, – all the feelings of what happened when he died. All also, the don't, also don't forget with Kobe, with Kobe and LeBron, we've we've seen so much more of their careers. Yes, we didn't have the access, Jordan, yeah. like we do with those guys. So the bar is going to be even higher for them to try to bring us something new. And uh, please tell me something we can pitch um, or promote uh, in your column or what's coming from you uh, soon because it's the least we can do because we're not paying you. All right. Like I said, Bruce Bernstein, I mean, really Darlene and Bruce Bernstein are the only reason I came back for this. <laughs> um, now look, anyone, anyone who wants to, uh, any, so the newsletter comes out every Tuesday. Yes. You know, uh, so please, if you, uh, if you are so inclined, do a Google search. Do a Google search on Mark Stein newsletter. All it takes is an email subscription. Sign up every Tuesday. Direct your inbox. Full column. Take reader questions. Interesting numbers in there. It's our little Tuesday get together. So please, uh, 
any basketball fans are welcome to join us. Thank you, my friend. Um, I could I would call you Hall of Famer, Mark Stein, but your ego's your, your ego's not that big. And um, no, cut out that cut out the first three four minutes and just get right to the doc. <laughs> oh man, that, thanks again. This is really good. And um, and shoot, you and your family stay safe, brother. Um, I, I I shudder to think of anybody I know other than Alan Finder, a former editor at the New York Times, that I that was my enterprise sports editor of getting it and and it, putting someone on a ventilator. It's just the whole th- it just changed our world in so many ways. And um, I hope you and your family are braving it down there. I will pass along those kind thoughts to everybody in the newsroom because Alan is greatly, greatly missed. And mm. thanks for having me and you guys too. Everybody be safe and good out there. All right, Mark. That was dope. Thank you once again to our friend and Hall of Famer, Mark Stein, even though he doesn't like hearing that from the New York Times. His weekly newsletter, Mark Stein on Basketball, is a must read, and it's free to subscribe. Thanks also to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, for all of his help and support. Ben Wolfen, yes, you edit the show each week, and we couldn't do it without you, and we always appreciate his great work. Although our world is still in turmoil, our Pure Hoops media crew soldiers on. Our five weekly shows continue as scheduled every Tuesday. It's Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. On Wednesday, Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin. And every Thursday, it's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt. On Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. And I'm back with a new Mike Wise show every Monday. Please remember to pray for our brave healthcare workers and other essential personnel keeping things going for all of us. Continue to practice physical distancing. Treat everyone as a cherished teammate. Wash your hands and do not ingest Lysol or Clorox. Please trust me on that one. Till next week. Peace, everybody. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.